0: Welcome. Glad that you've decided to be here with the church that meets at Dalreda. If you're visiting with us, glad that you have uh, decided to come our way for whatever reason that may be. Please uh, make sure you stick around so we can have the chance to meet you. Uh, we do have a couple of special guests that are here with us tonight. We have a, a visiting family that uh, they are about to head out into the mission field. Uh, I guess kind of come and go as uh, going back home and being part of the mission field. But we have the Hannah family with us. Tavaro and his wife Shamika, along with uh, their three children, Genesis, Providence, and Legacy. They're visiting with us for a little bit. We had a chance to meet with them, talk. In the missions committee right before uh, our services, and to learn about the great work that they're going to be doing in the Bahamas. And I would encourage you after service to meet them. You know, they're sitting over here in this section. Uh, he'll also be leading our closing prayer, so you have a chance to talk to him there. Uh, but get to know them. Encourage them. In 25 days, they'll be heading out to uh, begin this work. And so you know how the process goes. We've talked to different missionaries. Um, need encouragement, need support. And uh, we're happy that they've come our way. They're going to be spending a little bit of time with us uh, around this week. I know they're staying with the Ote's. And uh, so I just encourage you, get to know them, but especially be praying for them and uh, consider them as they're going to be going into this mission field and be working for the, uh, for, for the next uh, few years in the future of um, doing the Lord's work. So let's keep them in our prayers. Before we uh, study tonight, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we thank you for your son. We thank you for the word that you have given to us that was lived out and shown that we may follow it. Be with us tonight as we study your word. Help us to write it on our hearts and share it with others. We thank you for the Hannah family and please protect them as they continue to do your will. Be with all of us as we do the same thing. We thank you for Jesus and we pray all this to you in his name. Amen. What I want to talk about tonight uh, is kind of been a, a bit of an encouragement from some different areas. Uh, so, as you know, our elders have encouraged us to do more, to be more. A few months back, I got a text message from Dean, and I know it sparked from the other elders and said, "What do you what do you see happening in 2018?" So I started thinking about my personal life I started thinking about the situations I'm in, things I'm going through, and, and started thinking about the church here, our different ministries, stuff that we have going on, and started thinking about what would 2018 look like? You know, as we start making plans, we start thinking about that, and we've, we've had some great lessons to challenge us on to set our priorities and decide what we need to be doing. Our opportunities that we've had on Wednesday nights uh, to study about evangelism uh, and to, the opportunities that we have to go into our community and so forth and so forth. But something that I realized as I started considering what can happen in 2018 is the power of family. I know in a couple of weeks we have Fortifying the Family coming up, and it's one of those things that we always look forward to and always enjoy with guest speakers coming through and uh, speaking on those things. But just for a little bit of time tonight, I have some thoughts that I want to share with you. I guess some personal reflections about family, and maybe for me some things that I've noticed and things that I would like to share, or at least things that we can work on together. Now, if you'll remember back in the past, I've been here I guess this is, this is my seventh year, six, seven, somewhere. I lost count. I've enjoyed it so much. But I've been here for a number of years. And I know from one of the first times that I was here, I, I shared with you about my family. Many of you know the story, and I won't rehash all the details. I've talked to many of you in private, and I've talked to uh, many of you in public about situations with family. Uh, as we look across the room, we know that we have broken families. We know that we have broken homes. We know that we have great homes. We, have, we know that we have working homes. Uh, but I look at my family, where I came from originally, and I, I look at a broken home. I've seen divorce, I've seen drug addictions, and I've seen death because of it. Um, because of that, I've seen a single mom do the very best that she possibly can to train two young boys to make the best decisions for themselves. I've seen her work and to encourage and lift up. I've seen her in pain and I've seen a lot of struggles there. Now I go back and I reflect on my family and I reflect on where I've come from. And, and I guess we can all relate in some sense when we, we think about what we want our families to look like. All right, across this room we have a lot of married couples. We have a lot of growing families. We have a lot of different things happening in this one room for you that are not married, you that are thinking about uh, the future, we all have these plans of what can family look like. And I wonder what did your plans look like beforehand and what did they look like now? I would not in any sense of the imagination call myself a perfectionist. I don't think that I have OCD. I do have random habits, and I have things that make me really strange, little nuances in my life that uh, set me to the side. I'm not a perfectionist, but I do strive for that a lot, Um, and probably to a fault many times. Before I got married, I had this vision in my mind what the perfect husband was going to be because I saw what the lousiest one could possibly be. And I set these goals and I thought, here's what I want to be. And very quickly, and a lot of you can relate to this, you realize that mistakes and challenges happen to everyone. And very quickly, the dream of being the perfect husband, being the perfect spouse, being the perfect parent, being the perfect child, whatever that may be, where you want to implant perfection, whatever your process is in life, you realize that mistakes and challenges will find their way in there and you start to fall short. But then you start thinking, well, what am I going to do from this point? Am I just going to give up and say, all right, you know what? I'm never going to be better than what I lived with growing up. That's just who I am. I guess I learned from that. Or maybe we go on and we we decide that we're going to be somebody completely different and it it doesn't even look like us. It doesn't really relate to us. I look at family and I guess that, you know, I've got a lot of different bags, a lot of different perspectives that have played into where I am today. Going into marriage, like I said, I was thinking, all right, what can I be? What can I do? What, what can I do better than what I experienced? And then we had children. Oh, and there was a whole nother layer that came in. I've seen what a dad looks like that wasn't at home, that made bad decisions, that tore family apart. I don't want to be that way. So how can I be better? How can I be more perfected than what I was offered in my life? And once again, you know what I found, challenges and struggles The reason why I present these thoughts to you and to start thinking about yourself in relation, I want to be a little transparent as we we think about our lives and what we seek to be with our relationships with one another. And I think it pairs nicely, of course, and God designed it this way, of how we see ourselves in relation to God. We look at our family and we look at uh, the the husband and wife, the children and parents. We look at how they work together. And God says, I know I've shown you the perfect pattern. I have been the husband you have been my wife. I have been the father. You have been the children. And you see to what great lengths you can go to. You've seen what great lengths I will go to to make sure that everything works together. But as we go through the biblical history, we realize that there has even been broken families with our relationship with God. Nothing on God's part. He has gone above and beyond to be perfect, sending the perfect to be an example to us, but we realize our imperfections, our challenges, our hurdles, whatever it is, it complicates our relationship with God. If we know it complicates our relationship with God, what do you think will happen between our relationships with one another? This is not to set our sights lower and to think, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just doing whatever. I'm gonna just meet the very lowest common denominator, the the lowest standard, and I'm just gonna roll with it. Imagine if we treated our relationship with God like we treated our family or vice versa. What would that look like? Do you put the same amount of effort in your relationship to God that you put into being the the child to your parents, to being the husband to your wife, the wife being to her husband? What does that look like? And, And how does that pair over with our relationship to God? We're going to go on a journey of a few expectations that I believe have been set into Scripture that maybe will set a challenge for us and what we can do better and what we can decide for our family units, for ourselves, not just for 2018, because we know the year is going to come to an end eventually, but for the rest of our lives, what can we decide pre marriage? In the midst of a marriage, in the midst of training children, in the midst of broken homes, in the midst of whatever you're presented with, I don't know necessarily, but how can we take biblical examples and live them out? The first thing that I want to look at is in the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to focus on verse 21. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in 21, Paul says this, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if you'll piece the whole uh, context together, you look above and and he's talking about these passages that we use all the time for worship, where we use all the time to talk about singing, making melody in our hearts to the Lord, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, building all these things together and lifting them up to God. And then he goes on from there and he says, you know, don't be drunk with wine, uh, but, you know, be filled with the Spirit and then submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Now, the latter half of the context of this whole passage is he's going to take three different relationships that we're familiar with, husband and wives, parents and children, and uh, masters and slaves. He, He puts this heading, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then he gives you three things that you can relate to. Here's three relationships that you can combine to think about how you're going to submit to one another. So let's stop and think about this just for a moment without reading further because you, you know the passages. I'm sure we'll be in them in just a couple of weeks. When we think about submission, maybe we go ahead and start pairing the very next thing is wives being subjection to your husbands. Now, whatever your perspective is on the word submit, it may be intimidating, it may be easy, it may be whatever it is, but you think about submission, we go right to the wife to the husband. And we know that's because the church submits to Christ. Christ submits to the Father and so forth. You can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But I want to think about that that word submit as he relates to it in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All right, so when you think about submission, what's the best illustration you can put in your head if you'll put the family unit to the side? What's the best illustration? What's the best visual that comes to your mind when you think about submission? See, I think about wrestling, okay? I think about uh, grappling and you get somebody and you submit them. You get them in a situation where they can't move. That, technically, that is submission. Where you pin someone down where they have nowhere else to go, is that the, the kind of submission that God wants us to have in our relationships to one another where we just, we're just put under pressure and we stop moving? What other visions can we come up with in our society right now? What illustrations come to your mind when you think about submission outside of our relationship to God and to one another? What does that look like in your head? You know, when you think about submission, is it a willful decision, voluntary, something that you do out of joy, out of commitment, We think about submission, we say, okay, we're supposed to submit to God, so we're going to be, you know, his servants. We're going to submit to the Father. We're going to bow down before him. We're going to exalt him. We're going to lift him up. We're going to say, let thy will be done. And we do that, but do we really mean it? So let's take what that submission may look like between us and God, and let's put it over in our relationships to one another. Let's say that our idea of submission to God was, you know what, God, let your will be done unless it interferes with mine. God, let your will be done, but I'm not buying in all the way. God, let your will be done, but can I really trust you? What if we we brought that over into our families and we think about our relationships to husbands and wives and children and parents and even slaves and masters and the the workforce in our career? What if we treated submission that same way? I'll submit to you, but I won't like it. I'm going to submit to you, but I'm not all in. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to to do what you say, but I don't really believe it. And you understand there's a balance there that takes two people working together to understand true submission. You don't want to submit to something that's not worthy being submitted to. We willfully submit to God because he is perfection. He is love. He is everything that we want and everything that we need. And we can bow down and we say, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. But do you find times in your life where you don't actually do everything that God wants you to do? Do you find times in your life where you choose sin over God when you had made the, the, the statement, God, I give all to you? Pierce my ear. I bow down before you are my Lord and my master. You are my savior and I will do everything you tell me. But then we look at examples in our lives and we realize I did not do that. What happens? And it goes into every relationship that we face. If we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, what does our relationship to Christ look like? And does it look like the same thing in our families, in our homes, in any relationship to one another in a Christian understanding? So I stop and I think about that. And I want to go a bit further and I want to think, okay, well, what does this really look like if you get a good working family together? Let's go to First Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We have two people, two sets of people that we're going to look to as examples. Overseers and deacons. Now anyone that has decided to fill this role, one that aspires to whatever these offices may be, you took the charge. You took the the challenge. You you took uh, all of these things. You said, I want to be them in every part of my life. And we can read through all of it, but you know which passages I'm going to look at for us to consider tonight. In First Peter, I mean, excuse me, First Timothy chapter three, looking at verse four, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the Lord's church? Now let's stop and think here. We have an amazing group of elders that we willfully submit to. We have a great group of men that have made some great ideas and visions for what this church can be and they're on the forefront of it, leading it, pushing, driving, pulling, whatever it may take for us to grow together. And what's great about that and something that I think helps us understand how this all works together is that we see these men fulfilling what the Bible says. Because some of us may look at this and if you were to ask me as a 16-year-old, what do you think about this managing his own household and almost where it looks like this, this great goal where everything's just gonna work together perfectly and I would think there's no possible way. Ask me as a 16-year-old, ask me as a 14-year-old after his dad just passed away from a drug addiction, do you think that there's a perfect family or do you think there's even properly working families? I don't know if I could have answered you. I don't know if I could have in full faith said, it's possible to have a solid working family. But do you know what changed my mind? It wasn't the brokenness. It wasn't the the hurdles. It wasn't all the the negativity in my life. It was the church that changed my perspective. You know, when I walk in these doors, and this is not the same church I grew up with. It is essentially this, the Lord's church, but... My congregation back at home in Birmingham is the same congregation that I look at today. You know, wherever you come from in your perspective of life, where you, wherever you come from in your family unit and extend it as far as you will, you come into the church. And what we should find and what we do find, people working together, people working in their homes to fulfill what the Lord has challenged us with. You see, because we understand that God has told us to to submit to him and then we understand there's a submission back and forth within our families and then we start seeing people actually try and do it. I don't know if you've seen a family that just gives up. I don't know if you've been around somebody that they just don't want to fight, they don't want to work anymore. It can be discouraging. But something that can trump it and that can go way above and beyond to see people that actually love each other and actually want to make it right? Before I got married, you know how many conversations I had with many of you in your homes, in the hallways, leaning on the back of a truck outside late at night, just talking about what family can be? Do you understand what that did for me? Do you understand the conversations that I've had with one another about parenting and the transparency of working together to, to love and to train people up to serve the Lord? Do you understand what it's done for me to, to help me understand the imperfections are there, but we strive to be better. We strive to look like God in everything that we do. And, and it begins... Looking at examples like this, but then you go on and even deacons are going to follow suit. You look at First uh, Timothy chapter three, verse eleven: Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slender, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. So we look at these men that we follow, and we know that they're setting great examples, but. Ask anyone that's in a leading position, and if they're honest, and if they have a solid faith in God, they'll let you know, we make mistakes. But you don't have to let your mistakes define you. You look at them and you either use them to to weigh you down, to to realize what you can't do, or you take them and you realize what more you can do. That needs to be our view. Because it's not just the leaders that we get to say, well, that's just the elders, that's just the deacons, they're supposed to do that. Have you seen anything in Scripture that, that God tells us, you're an exception to what I've put anywhere else in my law? God's been serious from the beginning for us to love one another and to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, in whatever relationship that may be. Tonight we read from Matthew chapter 13. And it's kind of an odd passage, especially as you think about what we've been speaking of right now. But just for a second, I want you to think about this parable that we saw in Matthew 13, starting in verse 31. Allow, for me, to, uh, allow me to read these passages again. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. All right, so if we're going to be good Bible students, we're going to look at this and we think, okay, first, Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's everyone that is under the submission of God this kingdom, this monarchy, God being the the ruler, Jesus being the king, all this working together that we buy into, that we say, we're going to be in submission to you. We're going to be a part of your kingdom. We want to obey your will. We want to do your laws. We want to do what you tell us to do. Okay, so we have this kingdom. We have the subjects. We have everything working together. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. This little, tiny, small speck Whether you've ever seen a mustard seed or not, or whether you've ever seen a mustard tree or or not, you still have the story that's here, and you can pull up pictures, and you can look at whatever you need to, but look at what Jesus says. You have this little speck that's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it grows, when it flourishes, that even the birds of the air can come and dwell within it. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this little speck that when it grows, it becomes something big. The kingdom of heaven is composed of people. People are composed of relationships. Relationships come in the form of families. They come in the form of friends. I guess what we need to start thinking about is what's the size of our mustard seed at home? What are we producing? What are we growing together? What does it take For a little small seed to grow into something so big, so great, that even other things can come and dwell and be a part of it and be blessed because of it. If we look at our relationship with God and we think about this kingdom of God and we think about this tree, I want us to think about home. Is home a place that grows and flourishes? Is home a place where people are welcome? where help is found. I've been part of a home that it would be hard to have people walk into. I've been part of a home where I wouldn't want anyone else to ever see what goes on. But I've been part of a home where I've been encouraged, where I've been lifted up. I've walked into people's families that have trained me, that have helped me, that have turned me around, that have even brought me out of the pits of hell. And it wasn't some magical thing. It was people working together trying to serve the Lord. Right, so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about a family. I want you to think about yourself. I want you to think about your relationships with others that when you have felt down, when you have felt burdened, when you truly needed something, have you sought refuge in a tree that started as a little speck? Look at the church that we have here at Dalreda. Do you feel like a bird flying in, needing help, needing coverage, when you walk into these doors and you see the church loving and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? Do you find a body of believers, a family, a church that grows together, that loves together, that is trying to accomplish a greater and bigger will, one that is working and flourishing and nourishing one another? Would you rather stay outside the doors and have nothing to do with it? I want my home to look like a a mustard plant. I want it to look like a mustard seed. I want it to be beneficial. And I want it to be planted in the Lord. So I guess what would be a a bit of a a gauge? What what could we look at that would help us to understand the health of what we're dealing with? If we find a combination of how does our relationship to God look like and it is parallel to our relationships with one another, let's see if we can find something more into it. In Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite sets of uh, passages, starting in verse 9, going through 21, um, it's one of these sections where Paul's just going to go on a rant. I can't read it without running out of breath because I don't think that he ran out of breath when he was telling the guy to pin it out. He's going to go through this laundry list of do this, do this, do this, do this, let's do this, let's do this, come on, we can do it. And he goes over and over, and by the time you get to the end of, if you were to read out loud, Paul, slow down, I can't do that, I can't manage it. At the top of the ESV in this section, it's labeled marks of a true Christian. And I've challenged myself, and I know in a public forum that I've challenged you as well to consider each one of these. But I realize something as I read these verses. I put it on an individual basis. I come to these verses and I think, okay, um, let love be genuine. All right, has my love been genuine? Has it been true? Is it a facade? Is it something that I just want people to see? Or is it actually true? And so I gauge myself personally. But I want to put our families into this. And I want us to think about ourselves together. Can we say for our homes, can we say for our relationships to one another, that what we are offering together is genuine love. Do we together abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good? Do we together love one another with brotherly affection? Do we together outdo one another in showing honor? Do we together, uh, that we're not slothful in zeal, do we fervently seek the Spirit? Do we serve the Lord together? And so forth and so forth. I would encourage you to go home and read these passages together. Engage it as a family. Gauge it not just on an individual basis of am I doing this, this, and this, but are we? And then, by extension, we as the church are we doing these things? Can we look at the body, the the, the family that's here, and we can think together? We live in harmony with one another. We together are not haughty. We together associate with the lowly. We together are not wise in our own sight. Are we doing that as a family at Dalreda? You see, there's a lot of challenges in Scripture that relate directly to our families. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at these and I thought, I'm going to do it Perfectly. I'm just going gonna, gonna to blow it away. I'm going to get there, and I'm going to show all those other people. I'm going to show my family what a real family looks like. And then we fall. We slip up. But I hope that we never give up. I hope that we think, although that we may face challenges, we can still grow. Although we may have imperfections, that we can strive on for something more. If God knows that we're going to make mistakes, if God knows that we haven't been the most faithful of spouses, we haven't been the most obedient children, then we need to show grace and mercy to one another and work together the same way that God expects it out of us. And so I just wanted to think about this just a little bit tonight. I just wanted us to think about what we have. And what are we doing together? How can we be more? How can we do more? What can we do more this year as a church? I like Bill Johnson as he was speaking to us. He said, How does the battle go? How's it been going in every part of your life? I just want us to think about our families because I realize that families are challenging, they're not always perfect but they are always growing. They're always continually working, striving closer to God. So what do you need? What can we do? What are you offering? What can we do together? How can we build one another up? If you look at home tonight, you look individually, and you realize that you've made mistakes, you start personally to make them right. Then you start being the best that you can be to everyone you come in contact with. Always putting God first and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ.